Aston Martin puts up that it's race week. And obviously in Azerbaijan, there's the castle that's part of the track. Well, their little illustration for its race week was an illustrated Fernando and Taylor Swift standing on the castle together. Welcome back, everyone, to Figuring Out the Formula podcast. I'm Kyle, joined with Chandler and Pat, as always. And uh, we have quite the snooze fest to talk about today. It is the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, and it's been a month since racing, boys. It's good to be back. Definitely good to be back. Uh, it's a long, long break, which I don't think a lot of people are used to because the front of the calendar is usually so congested. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a month long, like I said, between the last Grand Prix and this Grand Prix. But you guys, you guys called this one straightforward. Last uh, last episode, we had you guys predict who's going to win this race. I was the oddball out because I wanted to be different because I didn't want to jinx him. But you guys picked uh, Checo Perez to win this Grand Prix. And yeah, I <laughs> guess I should have made it like college game day and done three in a row because he. Hey, thank you for your won. service. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for your service. <laughs> thank you, Checo. Thank you, if anything. Yeah. yeah. You should Venmo <clears throat> me some money or something for that or a t shirt at least. But, you know, whatever. But not just the race. I mean, he, he won the whole weekend. I mean, I mean, just. Speaking of the weekend, normally we set up our podcast in the format of the race weekend with practices, then qualifying, then the race. Well, this weekend, it's hard to do that because the entire race weekend was just fucked from the get-go. I mean, the format, it, it was it didn't make any sense. It was hard to understand for our new listeners and people who get into the sport because of Dry to Survive where it's supposed to be easy to understand it made no sense the format of this week yeah no it's i'm all for trying new things um but you know we it looks like we took a a two ingredient dish and decided to make it 15 ingredients this week just we threw everything at once and you know had this weekend, like the race itself and the whole race weekend, everything had been like exciting and action packed. We probably be viewing a little differently, but in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, I think that Baku really showed its true colors. Um, we've, and, and I know we'll get more into that a little bit more, Patrick, you were talking about that in our group text, but you know, it's just, it's just a lot thrown at us and then not a lot of results delivered. So for those of you listening, this race weekend was a sprint race weekend. So what happens is there is a miniature race that goes on that used to determine the starting order of the actual Grand Prix race. Last year, the sprint racing, it was two practice sessions on Friday. And then on Saturday was a qualifying for it. And then it was followed by Saturday evening was the actual sprint race. The order of the the finishing order of the sprint race determined the starting order for the Grand Prix on Sunday. Well, this year they changed the format. Pat, what was the format this year? Or so this year it was one one practice session. Then you had qualifying on Friday for the actual race. Then on Saturday morning you had a sprint shootout, which is just qualifying shortened for the sprint race. Then you had the sprint race on Saturday, and then 
you went back to the qualifying order set out Friday for the Grand Prix on Sunday, which to it, me, it, made no, it, it, it makes no sense. It, yeah, I agree. Like the whole sprint shootout and the sprint, only the top eight positions get points in the sprint race. Exactly. So, so eighth place gets one point and then first place gets eight points. So that means there are 12 other cars that don't give a shit about this race because they're not getting any points. They just might get damaged or whatever wear and tear on their cars. But the sprint shootout was a separate qualifying effort for the sprint race that didn't really matter. Yes. And additionally to this, and this is another wrinkle thrown in was the new restrictions and this was kind of the FIA testing this out for maybe potentially expanding it to regular qualifying. But, you know, in, in our regular qualifying sessions, you can use whatever tires you want to. Um, it doesn't matter compound wise. Now, the sprint shootout, they required medium tires during Q1. You had to use a fresh set of medium tires in Q1 um, or SQ1 as it was referred to this weekend. Um, SQ2, so qualifying two for the sprint, you were required to use a fresh new set of mediums. And then for the sprint qualifying three, you were required to use a fresh set of soft tires. And we'll get into it more when we just discuss like the weekend and the kind of the happenings of the events. But this was a new wrinkle in the plan of like, you know, we talk about we're going to talk about tire management a lot. We've probably talked about it in multiple episodes times before. But this is just yet another layer of restrictions and strategy that goes into it, which is not a terrible thing. And I get this is trying out. But you again, you don't need to pack this all into one weekend Um, because at the end we saw a couple of cases where. You know, it really kind of not backfired. It backfired on the FIA, if anything. So. I mean, the whole the whole format and just honestly, the idea of a sprint race weekend is just like it. it's just another level of stupidity. Like it just completely devalues the race on Sunday to me. It's like, why are we having an extra half race where, oh, yeah, you know, it's more racing and that's good. But it's like, why not just make the actual races longer or something like that? I agree with your statement for this setup of the sprint race weekend. But last year, when it was the practice sessions, and then it was the qualifying for the sprint lineup, and then where you finish in the sprint lineup lets you line up in your racing order for Sunday, it was a huge deal. Because even if you weren't in the top eight points, you know, places nine through 20, they were still racing very hard because some of those teams don't stand a chance of getting out of Q1 but now they can get up to 15 or higher in position. Now I agree with this, what you're saying with this setup, because it didn't mean shit. So I get, I get what you're saying with that, but if they went back to last year's setup, then I disagree. So I under, I understand it from like the back markers perspective, which that's definitely valid of trying to get those extra places for them. But I mean, I feel like the only sprint race that was actually even entertaining was brazil last year and most of the time the top teams are so conservative with it that they just are kind of hoping for a little driver parade um, of which so let me interrupt do you think you're talking about brazil that was a great sprint race like it it definitely captured the attention of the fans of f1 and those who maybe just tuned in just for shits and gigs 
that way they tuned in on Sunday because the racing was so great on Saturday. Do you think it's just because of the track? Like we'll get into this in a little bit, but like, do you think Baku is just not a good track for a sprint race or? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think Baku is just not a good place for it in the first place. You know, maybe I feel like if we saw it at a lot of different tracks, we kind of gauge where the best places to have it would be that are actually entertaining and like Monaco. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Monaco (laughs) would be the best. And, you know, Interlagos is, is always great, you know, for any racing, which I definitely think contributed to it. Um, I just think that for, you know, in terms of the front runners that they all are kind of just conservative with it. And then it also, at least for me, I kind of don't like it for like the mechanics and all the other people because it's, you know, X amount more work. Yeah. And then the teams are going to have to pay way more because, you know, there's a lot higher possibility of crashes and things like that, which... You know, maybe there is like a really good sweet spot that, you know, I think F1 is still trying to find, but it doesn't quite feel like they're close to that yet. I feel like Brazil was, Brazil was really entertaining, but I feel like it was a one-off. Yeah, Yeah. it was definitely the peak of sprint racing. And to back up y'all's discussion about like how great Brazil was, I actually saw this graphic the other day and this had for the 2022 season, it had how many overtakes occurred in each race. And Interlagos was led the entire F1 calendar with 62 overtakes in the feature race. So that's perfect for a sprint race. Could you imagine? I mean, that's that's what we want to see it. Um, We look at at Baku and last year Baku had about 22 overtakes. Now, I'm not sure in the feature race in the feature race. Yes. So you're having a third of the overtakes in the feature race. Now you're going to shorten. You're basically cutting the the sprint race is essentially like a third of the full race. So, you know, we're cutting that in third again, you're only expecting probably six, seven overtakes at the most in a sprint race at Baku. Yeah. Based on that metric. The thing is, is like maybe it's also partially because of recency bias with Baku, but it just did not look good at all. And just kind of deepened my hole for it, at least of which Baku it's, uh, to me, it's honestly an overrated mean, track. What do you mean by that? Like, Baku's an overrated track. All the drivers <laughs> say they love it and stuff like that, which it's fun as hell to play on F1 on the mm-hmm. game. But I feel like almost every time there's actual entertainment there, it's because of a crash of which yep. usually that crash happens in turn 15 in the same spot. And that's really the only kind of game changer you honestly ever get there. Like, you know, you don't really see any crazy racecraft or anything like that being exhibited because it's so tight and straight and it's just a lot of square corners. Yeah. And not to mention the cars have changed from last year a little bit too. Everybody's coming in the regulations and I'll dive a lot more into the full stat of it. But just to give you an example, like Bahrain had last year, last year had 58 overtakes and this year had 37. So we're seeing a lot more early on in these first three races, not counting this weekend that would just happen. Um, we're seeing more of like more of a parade um, that's kind of happening. And that just doesn't bode well for a sprint at a circuit like Baku. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Before we get into the actual sprint racing and the qualifying and all that. So we had, like I said, we had a month long break. Is there anything that caught your eye and on Reddit, on Google, YouTube, anything like that? Any kind so of drama? The the only main kind of drama, well, there's two 
two big pieces of drama. I'll let Chandler talk about the other one. Okay. The first one was that there were a lot of rumors starting to spread around that AlphaTauri was going to get sold and potentially moved away from their base in uh, Milan, where they've been for God knows how many years, of which uh, there was a lot of back and forth about it. And you know, eventually a lot of people could see it happening. Um, you know, people were speculating about if it's actually like a, a big cost efficiency for Red Bull or not. Um, what, is, if, what does Red Bull have to do with AlphaTauri? So Red Bull, I think, technically owns AlphaTauri. Mm-hmm. Uh, AlphaTauri, the name is actually just one of their fashion brands. And normally they try to use AlphaTauri as kind of like a, a feeder team for them or like a, a B team, sister team, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so like, that's where like Sebastian Vettel started. That's where Carlos Sainz started max. You know, you can go down probably half the grid and they would have started yeah. out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's a big point of contention for a lot of the other teams because a lot of them are like, well, we don't, you know, have some official B team. Um, and it's like, you know, they, people like Mercedes and Ferrari have customer teams that they have close relationships with, but it's, I don't think it's anywhere near kind of how Red Bull and AlphaTauri are, where they're essentially, they're by the rules indirectly related, but they are directly related. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there was a big point of contention because it's like, you know, if they actually do get sold, what's going to happen to all these people that have been working for them for years and live in Milan and everything like that? Are they going to move the team or something like that? But, you know, it's all just kind of rumors and it's like that stuff like that doesn't happen you know, overnight. Yeah, for sure. That was a crazy rumor. When I heard that, that they were offering 800 million for it, but there wasn't a specific person or organization that this offer came from. So it's kind of like, is this real? I mean, it's it's just an F1 rumor mill. And it is, but it's pretty crazy because, you know, a handful of years ago, less than 10 years ago, you know, you had Williams struggling to, you know, boil water because they couldn't afford anything and now and now an f1 team a back marker or mid-pack whatever depending on the year or race is worth 800 million or more that's pretty insane you can see the growth that the sport has had so yeah and i guess the backing behind this is that when red bull founder dietrich matz passed away earlier this year like the new ceo does not have as much of a passion for f1 Mm-hmm. So I think there was talks of how do we verify keeping AlphaTauri on the books? And <clears throat> so, you know, that that, that we kind of started to hear some whispers about like, you know, Red Bull might be wanting to sell, Red Bull might be wanting to sell. But with a month of no action going on, that's that's when it just there's starts. No, yeah, there's nothing else to talk about when there's no month of racing. So it's like, well, yeah, so that was that was pretty crazy to hear about all that. But uh what was some other stuff that's going on over this past month? All right. So I have four names for you, and we're going to play the connection game here. John Mayer, Joe Jonas, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Fernando Alonso. Any guess? Any guess? I mean, you probably know it, but all four. You didn't let me guess. Go. I haven't said it yet. All four, what do they have in common? Eight-inch dick. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. I don't know what. All four have had rumored relationship with the 
Taylor Swift, the queen of the music world right now. So with this month, I truthfully, I don't know where this got started, how it got started. If there is any substantive like evidence behind this, but rumors on social media that Taylor Swift and Fernando Alonso are supposedly a thing. And, you know, we we've had people like, you know, like ask Fernando and we, you know, we got to Azerbaijan this week and first red flag or green flag, whatever you want to call it um, is that Aston Martin puts up that it's race week. And obviously in Azerbaijan, there's the castle that's part of the track. Well, their little illustration for its race week was an illustrated Fernando and Taylor Swift standing on the castle together with like, <laughs> lips, like being third wheel, like off of the side. I'll find that we'll put this picture in, but like, there's that. So, okay. So Aston Martin's not denying it or they're playing into it. So then obviously they asked Fernando and it was the most non-answer of just, I have nothing to say with a smile and a laugh. And Social media said that's good enough for us. It's confirmed. Taylor Swift and Fernando Alonso are a thing. So we well, don't, but I will say that, you know, obviously that's a big deal with a big, you know, two massive names in the world of pop culture. And then it feeds into this week. So if you watch this week or if you go back and watch, man, the Taylor Swift song references you hear every time someone like Fernando is mentioned, like it is. Honestly, got kind of old after a while. You know, you have the 40-year-old men of Crofty and Ted, like, trying to squeeze in as many Taylor Swift song names as they can. Like, it's just kind of like, all right, point taken. Yeah. But that is the news stirring the streets right now. My ear, I always keep a good ear on the streets. Um, but it's really just a good, a real who-can-say situation right now. <laughs> well, Chan, thanks for putting on your Ticketmaster tiara and, you know, getting out the word. Yeah, you know what? Taylor Swift was in Atlanta. She's gone now. I don't have to see any more Instagram or Facebook posts. I've seen enough of it. Um, well, it's like wedding pictures. Like girls will post their wedding pictures 25 years after they're married every year on the dot. So look, she's very talented and she's got some great songs, but it's just like so over the top. And I saw so much of it. I'm just like, it's like, it's like the equivalent to Disney adults. Like Chandler gets that. He's a Disney adult, <laughs> but yeah, Disney adults are the worst. Swifties are the worst. Disney adult. What was that? I'm not a full blown Disney adult. I'm just an adult who likes Disney. There is mm, a. I beg to differ. Uh, yeah. Okay. There is a difference. Yeah. Well, it's a small world after all. That's right. All right. Anyways, so now that we're done with the the drama and Chandler eats his pizza, uh, we're gonna move on to qualifying. Qualifying was like we said it was kind of weird with the setup they only had one practice before um the qualifying the actual qualifying related to the grand prix not the sprint race like in past years so in q1 the first thing that happened was nick devries crashed red flagged it everything anything on that I just have to say, I think his stay in F1 is going to be kind of short-lived. I was very high on all the rookies going into this year. Nick DeVries has um, been very underwhelming to me. I mean, just lost it. Right? I mean, I think it was lost a rear on on it, but, mm-hmm. you know. Like, the just, only thing I got to say about DeVries is, I mean, I just don't like him. Like, he's a punchable face. <laughs> and him not racing, you know, and just not having to hear about him for another, you know, hour or so is pretty great. So my thing is, 
if you think about it, every rookie has a veteran to accompany him. But if you look, Oscar Piastri's veteran is Lando Norris, who's gotten a podium before. Then you have Logan Sargent, who has Alex Albon, who has also been on a podium before. You look at Nick DeVries, and he has Yuki, who gets pissed off if a butterfly lands on his foot. You know what I mean? To get in the car. So, yes, I agree. He has not been up to par, but at the same time, he doesn't have a mentor, from what I can tell in the public eye. Obviously, I don't. I'm not hanging out in Pat's paddock in the you know the Alphatari garage, but it's still. Yes, it's him driving, but I don't. When, I don't think when there's you're a rookie, lot of it's a big difference. I don't think there's a lot of expectations for him. Like I think Alphatari knows, like Yuki is still figuring his thing out. Of which I feel like Yuki's kind of more on a hot seat than DeVries is, just yeah, from a definitely. standpoint of needing to just grow the fuck up and be like an F1 racing adult. It's not like he's you know 16 years old anymore or something like that. And I don't think there's high expectations for DeVries. You know, I think as long as he's not crashing a ton this year, then, you know, he'll be fine and stay in F1 for at least another year. But, you know, I don't think there's any expectation on it. I mean, there's none for me. I don't expect him to, like, win a race or something no, like that. No. Like, the AlphaTauri is not good this year, and everyone knows he can race. Like, he's doing Formula E and all that. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, he, he's been very competitive in everything he's raced in. But like you said, this year AlphaTauri is not up to par. They're they are the backmarkers. Like they, they're just not there. But then you, you take their lack of pace, and then you have a lack of competency with the other drivers. It's it's setting yourself up for failure, setting your organization up for failure. Mm-hmm. And if they don't get it right, they might be selling for eight hundred million dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, I, I mean, let's be honest. If Williams could finish all the laps of a race, then they then would have a lot of points. They'd probably Alfred, be fighting McLaren. Alfred is like far and clear to the lowest on the totem pole. And it's like, again, we talk about the rumors of selling. I mean, like, how long can it be financially? Like, if, you know, we talk about that mentor. Like, I honestly think when Pierre left, they put Yuki. Yuki's now the lead guy, but it's kind of like, all right, we are pushing you off the edge, and you're either going to fly or you're going to fall. Yeah, I mean, so, it's, it's a trial by fire. Like that's <laughs> it's the biggest trial by fire out there, and <clears throat> which is sad because he doesn't deserve that. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's a rookie. I mean, he does not deserve it. Sucks. It. Like it's supposed to be like a junior <clears throat> team with you know some form of guidance, but doesn't really feel like there is. And I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, Franz Toast like. See, like this season or his last season is his last season as team principal. Um, and the other thing going back to kind of the rumor mill is that, you know, how long would Red Bull actually want to keep that if it's not somewhere where they can just throw a future world talent in there? You know, like they used to mm-hmm. have Carlos Sainz, Sebastian Vettel, Daniel Ricardo, Max, like Pierre all going through there. And then it, in recent couple of years, it kind of feels like it's kind of slowed down with, you know, the people that they're able to get through there. And, you know, Yuki has a lot of potential, but, you know, potential doesn't always get realized. Um, and so I, I definitely think that, you know, this season and probably next season are going to be 
pretty pivotal for that team just to kind of see, you know, if they're actually remotely competitive and Red Bull, you know, wants to keep them as an investment tool or whatever, um, or if it's just somewhere where it's just filling a seat, you know? Yeah. I honestly, with the new management of the company, I don't see them hanging on to them much longer. I think once F1 hits its peak viewership, they're gone. But I could be wrong. But I mean, so you you had DeVries crash, an AlphaTauri driver, and then you had a former AlphaTauri driver, Pierre Gasly crash, also in Q1, leading to a red flag. I, th- I think there was like four minutes left, five minutes left whenever Pierre crashed, which always screws up the entire order of who needs to do a flying lap, that kind of thing. There could have been a lot more drama, but with these crashes, it kind of ruined all that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's like I said before, the main entertainment, but it's like you don't you don't need that in qualifying, you need that in the race. And it do you do you think that both these crashes were because they only had one practice session before and they had a month off before this actual race weekend? Yeah, I, I definitely think so, especially because you know it's it's not easy to just get an F1 car and just drive. Like you know, it, it takes time to actually get used to going around the track and they're not, they don't always, you know, start out going on full flying laps and everything like that. And it's like, you can do all the sim work you want in the world, but it's, it's a whole different thing coming back and getting in the actual car. And, you know, with DeVries, who I don't think he's ever raced here. I don't think formerly races in Baku. No, they don't. Um, they don't. You know, it's like a whole new track for him of which those last couple of corners do get tricky because, you know, they start to get, downhill and actually have the only elevation changes and then you know pierre it's just you know like we've talked about in previous episodes mistakes happen and you know if you're cold you're cold and that's why they have the the practice sessions to start yeah so out in q1 was devries gasly magnuson hulkenberg and joe Granue. so we move into q2 and nothing happened there was no crashes nothing like that no no real excitement on that honestly like it's just that was probably the most like forgettable 12 well it was on any other race weekend would be the most forgettable 12 minutes of the race weekend but not this week but yeah there was a lot to forget this weekend but q2 out in q2 was logan Sargent, bodice albon Ocon, and russell so like we said, nothing happened in Q2. We move into Q3. That's the top 10, trying to get the trying to get the top 10 positions, that kind of thing. So in Q3, we have uh, Leclerc and Verstappen, as well as Lance Stroll and Oscar Piastri, have the same exact lap times. Which is, again, this is the third time this season it's happened. I've never seen it before this season at all, and we've had it three times in four races, which is just nuts to me. And when we say the exact same time, I mean, the FIA goes up to thousands. Thousands of a second, yeah. I, it's, so four decimal places, they get it exactly even. That happened twice in Q3. So the first time was Leclerc and Verstappen. And it was, was it Leclerc or Verstappen who finished, who did it first? Leclerc did it first. So Leclerc, so Leclerc finished his lap or he started his qualifying lap first, which 
meant that it was his time over Verstappen's, even though they had the exact same time. Oscar and Lance Stroll had the exact same time. So you have Leclerc and Verstappen, they go the same time. And the tiebreaker in F1, which we've talked about before, is whoever sets that time first gets the tiebreak. So Charles started the lap first. He finished the lap first. Uh, so he got the tiebreaker over Verstappen. And then we saw it again with Stroll and Piastri, which I believe was for 8-9, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes. Or, yeah, I was about to say somewhere down like in that mid, mid to high single digits um but stroll lance stroll hit the time first piastri come in with the again the exact same time so tiebreaker went to stroll but again just wild to me that you know we had this happen three times in th- four races it's and so, it's one eight minute qualifying set like 10 minute qualifying session yeah it definitely needs to change the rules and regulations it's not like the computer can't go one more decimal place there's if if they get the exact same time at ten thousandth of a second, fuck it, give them both first place. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Draw you know lines I mean? on the grid. Yeah, Jesus. But you know, to happen three times in four races is it's too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it. They knew that it's possible because they made the rule, which whoever goes first gets it. Which I think it did happen with like Michael Schumacher back in the early 2000s. And it was like, what do we do? Like, I think that's, but it happened that's like, what, and, yeah, that, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say it happened one time and then they created the rule because of that. Cause they're like, all right, in the history of the sport, it's happened now one time in 50 something years. It's never going to happen again. And here we are in a hundred days and it's happened three times. Well, it's more like 300 days because we had that break, but whatever what it felt like <laughs> yeah for real yeah so that was q3 like we said q3 started that it set the pace for it set the field for the actual race on sunday there was also at the ash crack of dawn there was the sprint shootout which is the qualifying for the sprint race which meant absolutely dick it it didn't mean anything yeah, it, it didn't mean anything. I didn't watch it. I just saw the highlights from it. The only thing that I saw that was crazy was that Logan Sargent crashed and that meant no sprint race for him, which was probably, in hindsight, probably the best because it was a waste of time anyways. But Yeah, so um, for Logan, the really thing, because I've, you know, I've glutton for punishment, got up and watched it. Um, at 4.30 in the morning. And Logan's thing was, that I mean, I tell you what, he took that rear end to that wall with some force. Um, <clears throat> so they had to, uh, there was no, there was, they couldn't get a car on the track. It wasn't like, we're just going to sit this one out to have extra time. It's like, if they wanted to get it on the track, there was no getting it on the track because they had to reduce so much repairs. Um, <clears throat> but the thing that, we, you know, we mentioned earlier about the requirements for tires. So, Lando, like I said, finished um, finished like sixth or seventh um, in qualifying. <laughs> in order to get that last jump of a time, he took a gamble, and that gamble was is that he used his last fresh set of softs um, in qualifying. So he did not have a, a fresh set anymore. So therefore, what it meant looking forward to the sprint shootout was that if he made it to qualifying to SQ3, he didn't have a fresh set of tires. He couldn't run and he would just have to accept P10, um, which, you know, 
it's a gamble I think we're going to see a lot more often if they keep this format because you look at some teams that like they don't care about um, they really don't care about the uh, sprint race. You know, if, if you know, say the championship gets race gets blown wide open. I mean, they're out of the gate like Red Bull, if they're looking for poles and stuff like that, they may burn those last set of salts in regular qualifying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so what will what was interesting to see, and this is a little bit of a strategy, in my opinion, a little bit of a blunder by McLaren. Um, I say a little bit because I've seen so much this year, I'm numb to it all. But um <clears throat> you know, in qualifying, sprint qualifying two, both Oscar and Lando have a chance to get to the qualifying three. Now, Oscar has a fresh set of salts, and we know this going into bucket we're not going to use softs during a race um unless we have like that two lap shootout that we had a couple years ago but we're not going to use softs during the race so oscar is you know oscar's got a chance he gets q3 can make something happen lando knows that if i make it to sq3 i got to sit out and take 10 for some reason mclaren decides that hey oscar you're going to go first and you're going to give lando a toe so sure enough, Lando gets boom. He gets into Q3, SQ3 with like a time that's good enough to get him like sixth or seventh, uh, maybe even fifth. I'm not sure. But because he didn't have any softs, guess what? He gets to Q3 and he's sitting in the garage just, all right, well, I'm out of it. And so is Oscar because Oscar had to give Lando a toe. Yeah. <laughs> just Makes no sense. Stupid. Like, oh, just McLaren just pisses me off new ways each week. Yeah. They're learning from Ferrari. but. Yeah, my thing is, it it was just it was such a waste of time, mm-hmm. literally. Because, like we said, only the top eight in the sprint race get points. So why even burn your tires? Why even go out there when it means nothing? Because you already did qualifying for the Grand Prix, but you yep. have to you have to, or else you'll get a penalty. But why not go out there, run a race, and then retire, or run a lap and then retire your car? <clears throat> yeah, I. You know? I- but I don't know. Before we move into the actual sprint race of this weekend, how about we uh, stop by Pat's paddock? He's got some important things to talk about before we uh, get into that. Pat? All right. So uh, welcome back to Pat's paddock, everyone. Um, so this week, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about tire compounds. Um so just as a little history lesson, uh, so throughout a race, there's a rule that drivers have to use two compounds of tires throughout a race. This was implemented so that they could force drivers to actually make a pit stop before the end of the race, as F1 had banned refueling after the 2009 season. Uh, this because refueling was just inherently dangerous. There's a ton of incidents that you can find on YouTube where you know a driver starts to drive off and it's not disconnected, and then the fuel line would explode and cause a fire in the pit lane. Even um, Max Verstappen's dad had a fire. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some really bad ones where it just looks like an explosion in the pit lane. Um, so due to those dangers, F1 was like, all right, we need to change. And after the 2009 season, they required that cars can go the full length of a race on a single tank of gas. Now, they still had to have some kind of variable to force the teams to pit because F1 engineers will figure out a way to just go the whole race without pitting. Um so what they did is they actually then got Pirelli involved and they decided to um, implement some different tire compounds throughout the race and require that drivers use two of them through the whole race. Now, 
the reason that Pirelli is currently the only tire supplier is of F1 is that uh, back in the 2000s, they had both Bridgestone and Michelin supplying all the tires for teams, and teams would pick between one of those two. Well, after the 2005 U.S. Grand Prix, where Michelin had an incident where their their car's tires couldn't handle the lateral forces of one of the corners, they had to withdraw all the teams except for three of them because their tires were going to explode when they went around this corner. So that year, the U.S. Grand Prix took place with six cars total. I think Ferrari ended up winning as those were the only three teams that used Bridgestone tires. Now, so year after that, Michelin was gone and then Bridgestone was the sole supplier. But eventually they decided, hey, this is just too expensive for us to keep doing. We don't want to keep doing it. So they pulled out and Pirelli decided to pick up the slack. Now, for each race, you'll see uh, the commentators at the beginning of the race say that there's you know three different compounds. One of them is designated soft, one is medium, and one is hard. The soft tires, they provide the best grip, but they degrade faster. And then the hard tires last longer, but they don't have as much grip. Now, you'll also see them say that there's compounds C1, C2, 3, 4, 5, of which... Uh, C1 is the hardest and C5 is the softest. Now, those are selected by Pirelli based on the track. They have all kinds of simulations and stuff like that that they run. And then based on that, the teams get allocated a certain number of tires for every weekend. Now, when you say when you say based on the track, what do you mean? Like, so like- so each track because of all the different elevation changes and you know the angles of their turns and the banking and also the materials of the asphalt and the weather conditions and how hot it is, you know, it really varies of kind of how much grip the cars need to actually drive in a safe manner still. So, so it's you know, not all, not all tracks are created equal. I know when we went to Coda, we walked on the track after the race and it was very gritty. Like we, yeah. it was, there were so many little holes between every little asphalt. Like it was, you could, it looked like a cheese grater, which, is pretty much what it is for the tires. Right. And so you'll have, you'll have like a track like say Coda or probably a spa has like similar tire compounds they use, but mm-hmm. they're not going to use that same thing in, you know, Baku or Singapore where it's a mostly flat street race. Um, now, in addition to the regular compounds, they do also have two compounds selected for if it rains. One of them is the intermediate. You'll see a green circle on those on the outside. Uh, those just have slight grooves in case of like minor water on the track and things like that. And then the actual full wet tires, um, they look kind of how the old tires used to look with just big, massive channels in them, which are used to direct water away. And, you know, because that's the current variable that F1 uses to you know force people to pit and increase the margin of error for teams, they have that, and then they also have added these sprint shootouts and set requirements for those to introduce even more variables, which the heart of it is supposed to make it more competitive, but like we saw and Chandler discussed, you know, teams don't always get to allocate everything that they want, and then they're just going to sit out. You know, I think that's the first instance we've we've seen, and, you know, not a lot of teams had issues with it, but, you know, definitely in the future you know, that'll have a ton more um, kind of variance with it. And, you know, if a team is like, all right, well, we're just kind of set for the weekend. So we're just not going to even bother really trying for this. 
And so, you know, it'll introduce differences in the the sprint races, but um, yeah, I don't think we've had a real chance to to see it play out yet. The strategy that you can use with these tires and all that, we've discussed in previous episodes, the overcut and undercut. Your compound, whether you have a medium, soft, hard, whatever it is, determines what strategy you can do, how many times you have to pit, that kind of thing. The big thing that happened in the sprint race was on lap 11, Lando Norris had to box. Chandler said he was talking about Lando having or using a soft compound. Well, he saved it for the actual sprint race and it didn't last anywhere near what Pirelli said it would. So he had to box in a already very short race. It's a third of a Grand Prix and he had to box on lap 11 because he could not go any further with it. So in Baku in 2021, actually, we had another notable incident where... Max Verstappen looks like he's cruising to, you know, a runaway victory and he's coming down the back straight and his car uh, ended up flying into the wall because his tire just completely gave out in the middle of the straight. And actually earlier that had also happened to Lance Stroll. Now, you know, there was a big issue with this because Pirelli tells the teams, this is how many laps that this tire should last. And, you know, some teams will obviously push that. And, you know, we've seen some crazy stints like Alex Albon last year in Australia went almost the whole race on one set of tires. But the problem was that, you know, if, if Pirelli tells you, Hey, this lap or this tire compound is going to last, you know, 20 laps, and then it gives out in 10 or 15, like, you know, when people are going high speeds that can cause you serious issues. And they ended up actually having an, investigation where Pirelli found nothing wrong because they investigated themselves and yeah yeah great accountability there yeah and I think that the sprint the sprint shootout and everything now just chewing through all the team's tires is actually just going to start exposing this more um of which it'll be interesting to see how it plays out eventually if you know it keeps happening where tires just give out when they're not supposed to but you know it, it really screws over a lot of teams so I know this isn't F1, but NASCAR had that issue when they changed to the new car in the mm-hmm. Cup Series. They had a lower profile tire and the teams were trying to push it with going as low air pressure as they could. You know, you had cars blowing out their right rear tire on the embanking and they were blaming Goodyear for it. Well, it wasn't Goodyear's fault. It was the team's fault for pushing it. Now, is that the case with Pirelli? That's to be determined. Pirelli could be overestimating how long these tires can last. Or it could have just been a fluke with the day. You never know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just to sum up everything, and this is more of the day of the race, but, you know, they always post, like, the strategies that are recommended by Pirelli. And there were two strategies. Both of them were one-stop races. Um the medium first one was the medium tire last you till about lap 20 and then you get on a hard tires and go 31 laps and then the other one was that you can run the mediums to about lap 16 and then you run the hards the rest of the way obviously you're not going to have as much degradation on the mediums but that harder is going to have to last you a lot longer so you know it, it's kind of you pick the two we're like I says okay lap 16 through lap 20 is your pit your tire window 
And we're seeing people come in on lap eight because of tires already starting to wear off. It just, to me, it just, it just makes me so mad that like, and I made the joking comment about it just, you have the softs that wouldn't even get you halfway around the track. You have the mediums that won't even get you through 10 laps of the race. And then you've got the hards that the hards will, like I made the comment. I mean, I, Nico Hulkenberg and Esteban <laughs> Alcon could keep those same hards on and probably run the whole Miami race next week. Yeah. So I hear what you're saying. The good thing is for the drivers during the sprint race is that on lap two, they got to change tires for free, basically, because mm-hmm. Yuki Sonoda decided to have his wheel and tire come off. It led to a virtual safety car, which in turn led to a actual safety car, a full safety car. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, I mean, Yuki just crashed like, and that's what happens almost every time going into turn 15 in in Baku. Uh, I think last year we had like five or six drivers throughout the weekend hit the exact same spot on the barriers, um, of which, you know, helps other teams and gives them, you know, a big chance to switch out tires and things like that and get in the safety car, which here we had, that was honestly the only entertainment almost, but, you know, that ended up happening to Yuki during the sprint. We also saw, which I don't know if you guys had seen it, George Russell decided to punt his car into Max Verstappen going around turn two. And Max was, I actually, I found this pretty <laughs> funny because Max was irate. He, he literally waited for George to get out of his car to get in his face and call him a <laughs> yeah. dickhead and all this stuff. But the thing, and I don't know if you guys have have any input on it, but you know, it's like Max, you were literally doing this like two years ago. Like, yeah, this was you, mm-hmm. and I think it's a tale as old as time of you know someone driving like that. And I think it's George Russell's turn, and he's really actually really bad about it because he also just drives straight into people. It's not even close to to any mm-hmm. debate. Um, it's it's between him and Carlos Sainz, who's like, who should I ride into today? <laughs> who, who deserves to uh, yeah. take a break after three laps? Because I feel like passing these people, I'm going to pretend like I have fenders on my car because I'm just going to run right into them. So, some are saying that George Russell is the new Lance Stroll of when it comes to dive bombing. I mean, just... Hard nose dives. I mean, now now that Lance is a decent driver with yeah, a good that, car, there's a decent <laughs> car behind him. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's just it's one of those things where like somebody made a, made a comment about it, and I think that it has some weight to it. Is like at the end of the day, they're both Max and George are kind of both right because <clears throat> you have George who's sitting there saying like. Ever since we've been in karting, if you have like the position on the inside at the apex of the corner, it's your position. I agree with that. From a max side of argument, is that I also agree that you are on cold, fresh tires that are not warmed up yet. So you should have the wherewithal to know that the, the car is going to not handle as tightly as it should. And got to be a little more cognizant of that. Hence, that's honestly probably why Max went around the outside as, as, as wide as he did because he knew that these cold tires are. So I think they're both right now. I, I agree. But at the same time, 
Baku is a street circuit, so there's a lot less room than normal. There's no yeah. runoff. It's just the wall. So for George to act like Max could just go over the curb and then in your runoff is insane. Because if That's he did awesome. that, he loses seven places minimum if he I goes into the runoff. I think that they're both right to an extent. However, Max is probably 65% right of the winner of this argument. Like I agree, but Max did actually sustain some damage to his side pod. Um, there's a historical accurate picture. I'll put it up on the screen now where George Russell is actually holding the Red Bull side pod together. So thank you, George, for your service. I appreciate it. A lot of Red Bull fans definitely appreciate you doing that as well. Some kids look forward to the uh, Tooth Fairy. Some kids look forward to the Easter Bunny. Um, the F1 world looks forward to uh, Princess George, as he was referred to. I don't remember which one of them it was, but there's a photo of one of the Red Bull mechanics holding up the side pod, and it's literally bigger than his head, like the hole that was put into it. <laughs> and Max still finished third. Yeah, that's just nuts. That's crazy. But then right. we yeah. where he got up in his face and like honestly, like George, I I don't know if George was playing the act of naive or if he was legitimately naive, was just oh, I thought he was coming up for a chat, like all that stuff. He, and he, he looked like up. Fernando talking to Taylor. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like, and then Max made the comment, it was like, okay, expect the same thing next time around, dickhead. Like, yeah. like yeah. he said that, and it was like, like because I didn't think, like, somebody put that, like, quote there, and I was like, there's no way Max said dickhead. And then I look at it, and it's like, oh, my God. Okay, yeah. he said it. <laughs> he said it, and it is like, I was like, and then, you know, the the karma of it all is that, you know, George is up there defining and defending his stance a lot of stuff and where's he he's all the way in the back like the next day during the race but yep absolutely so to finish off the sprint race we had the podium was like you said max finishing third max Verstappen finishing third uh charles leclerc finished in second and then sergio checo perez baby king of, finished the, street, on podium. Baby. King of the streets king of the streets he finished in first yeah, so that was the sprint race. Like we said, it was kind of confusing with the format and all that. But Checo got the uh, the dub, which meant nothing for the race. He just got eight extra points. That was it. So that's good for him. We move into the race part of the weekend. And uh, it was the worst fucking race I've ever seen. It was so boring. This is the Azerbaijan Grand Prix personified. Is a picture of my brother and the dog just snoozing. And they weren't the only ones. Pat? No, nah, I, I went to bed at lap 30. I, mean, I was done. And for like all you said, listen, for all you listening, the race started at seven o'clock a.m. here in the United States on the East Coast. So lap 30, we're talking like 830, 8, 830 maybe. Yeah. And yeah. Like I get I get it starting early, like you know. Can't have every race start at nine, ten, or you know, for like next week, three p.m. Let's go. But I mean, there was nothing going on, and like I was saying before, the only entertainment at this track, which I've always thought it's an overrated track, comes from crashes, and there really weren't even any. I think the first one was what. Um, it was. 
It was, you guessed it, Nick DeVries. On yeah. lap 11, the safety car came out. He basically clipped the wall, one of the walls, and then he had to stop. He had to retire the car. He stopped right before a pull-off area, which would have led to just yellow flags, but since he stopped on the track, it led to the safety car. Which was interesting in the way that that kind of went down. Like at the end of the day, I think safety car was the right call, but <laughs> it was a double yellow flag for quite a bit of time. Like everybody was like, okay. And and truthfully, that's kind of why you had like the, you know, Max was leading the first 11 laps and really had pulled out like three second lead and 11 laps over Checo. And, you know, they, <clears throat> the double yellow flag had come in and they decided to box Max on what I assume would be a free pit stop, which, you know, is fine and dandy. And then Checo was too close to do a double stack, so had to keep going around and got around about turn two or three, and boom, here they pulled the, they pulled the safety car out. So very interesting on that. I think that it just – I think the reaction time by the FIA was a little bit longer than we're accustomed to, and I think that – at that point, Red Bull had thought, okay, well, if they haven't pulled a safety car out, then it's not coming. And so, so, so Pat, explain, since you already talked about the tire compounds and all that, explain why on lap 11, they everybody was running medium. Most of the field was running medium compound tires. Why would they stop on lap 11 when it can go, Pirelli said, 20 laps? So... Everyone pretty much, I think pretty much everybody had almost stopped before then. Um, and Max was actually one of the last ones to do it. Um, and the thing is, is they say that the medium tires could have gone 20 or 30 laps or something like that. But pretty much every driver was reporting that they were just chewing through their tires already. And so, you know, almost every time teams are just going to go medium hard on this track and just do a one stop pit race. And usually it does go until like lap 30 or so before they'll, they'll actually change and they'll try to push it. But, you know, the compounds that Pirelli was using for this race just got chewed straight through. And so pretty much everyone was like, all right, let's just go ahead and pit now and just, you know, see if we can stick it out longer than everyone else. Uh, and it this time ended up screwing Max Verstappen for once. And usually he's, he's on the flip side of Checo. Um and we've also seen kind of the inverse where teams will start on like hards or something like that and switch over even later in the race. But I think just because of recent mishaps and everything like that and how the race was going, that everyone pretty much all just decided at the same time, hey, let's just switch to hards and leg it out. And Max took a gamble and unfortunately the FAA kind of screwed him over. But well, Max didn't. Red Bull did. Red Bull took a gamble on Max by bringing him in during the double yellow flags. He lost the lead. So Checo, whenever it turned safety car, Checo pitted, got new tires, and it was a lot less time wasted because yep. of the amount of power, the amount of speed that they that the drivers have under safety car. Mm -hmm. Well, he gets out there and he's still in the lead. So my question to you guys is do you think that Red Bull made the right call with Max or is it just bad luck? 
I think it's a real rub of the grain situation. Uh, um, you know, we saw it happen to Georgia and Australia and, you know, it's, it's tough. And that's like I said, the only explanation and, and, you know, they were talking about it on the broadcast was that a lot of times your engineers and strategists strategists are going to be, um, be kind of reactionary to what's going on and for it to be double yellow that long, you're thinking, okay, they probably made that decision based off of the trends they've seen in the past of like, it's not going to go. If anything, virtual safety car would have probably still given Max the lead. Yeah. Um, no. Which yeah, is I, worst case scenario at this point is virtual safety car. And so, you know, and, and, you know, Max, like in terms of the whole, did they prioritize check over? No, because there's just no way they could have double stacked. It would have ruined Checo's race. So it's like, and you, in the public eye, Max was not upset, like verbally, like with Red Bull, like saying how he got preference on stuff. Because I think Max even understood that there was no way that it was going to, you know, they were going to work out a double stack. It was, it was basically one or the other. Yeah. It just happened to pick Max. That's right. And, and you know, and Max happened to get screwed by the safety car. That's right. If the safety car hadn't come out, he would have been golden. He would have been the one ready to yeah. go. And then, then you look at they this way. That so early, you know, like, they they decided what they decided they're gonna pit way before they actually do, and in this case, it just happened to be bad luck of the draw. Yeah, yeah, it's, for sure. I mean, it that happened on lap eleven, where the safety car came out. We were talking about the tire compounds and how long they last. It took until lap thirty eight for another issue to happen. It was on lap thirty eight. Joe he retired due to mechanical issues that didn't cause a safety car or VSC or yellow flags or anything. So literally the race was just a, like you said earlier, a parade of drivers just going and going and going full speed. Well, you were starting to see pit stops. Like we were talking about most drivers and Pirelli said that it would be a one-stop race. Well, Valtteri Bottas for uh, Alfa Romeo, he pitted three times because his car was struggling and the tires were getting eight up. Yeah, and I know that he dropped to like five positions in the first lap. He got a little damaged on there, but like, so the first stop at like lap one's fine, but how do you not, how do you have to pull like two stops at the most should have been it, but something was up with that Alfa Romeo. I don't yeah. understand why they wouldn't retire him, Pat. Like Lando Norris retired. Yeah. Whenever he had the pneumatic issues. Mm-hmm. Why would they not retire him? Well, the I think the thing for Alpha right now, and of which that whole issue, I mean, that's having to pit that many times, that's not going to be down to like Pirelli or someone like that. Like that's up to your car setup. Yeah. And I remember in last year in Miami, like Ferrari was complaining because their tire just kept getting chewed through because they just didn't get their setup right. But, you know, Alpha probably just kept him out there to just keep testing because they're playing big time catch up behind, you know, Williams or, you know, even someone like Haas, like they're still catching up to them just because, you know, as a tale as old as pretty much time for them, they've had all kinds of mechanical issues. haven't really had a super competitive car or anything like that. Um, and I think Botas was just like, all right, well, let's just 
keep going if we can, you know, if we still got tires that we didn't burn through because the, the sprint qualifying shootout mega 3000 SummerSlam, like <laughs> might as well keep going, you know, like we said earlier, it was a very boring race. There's not shit that went on. Pat went to sleep, you know, lap. What'd you say? 30 something. 30. And I stay awake for every race, every yeah. race. So it it really means that the racing was not where it should have been. We saw that on Saturday with the sprint race where it was pretty boring. And then Sunday, I don't know why I expected something different, but it wasn't. It was pretty boring as well. Now, the only the only thing that happened that actually I was <clears> like, whoa, this is crazy. This race is insane. Actually didn't have to do with racing itself. We were talking yep. about the tire compounds earlier and uh, how you could run it as long as you can, how you can run the hard tire as long as it can. Well, <laughs> Esteban Ocon, he only had one stop and it was on the last lap. So the FIA requires that you stop at least once, you know, cause he, Pat said earlier, you have to have two different compounds. Well, you make that stop. It could be at any time during the race. Well, Ocon decided to make it the last lap, lap 51. Well, the FIA had already granted access to the media in the paddock where Esteban Ocon had to pit. So that meant there were loads and loads of journalists just standing right by the pit entrance. They reached speeds in the pit lanes, sometimes up to like 80 miles an hour. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is at this at Baku. I don't know if it was kilometers per hour or miles per hour. But it was eight, eighty. It, it's damn fast. It's damn it's, fast. It's enough to kill a person. And it's forty when, miles an hour. Yeah, when Ocon came around the corner on into pit into the pit lane, he saw just tons and tons of people. He had to slam on his brakes. People were jumping out of the way. It was a very very deadly scene. And to set it up from. You know, we come around, basically, Checo starts the last lap, and they had kind of mentioned it or hadn't quite started the last lap, but they kind of, you hear, like, Ted's voice talking about it. They started like, well, wait a minute. Esteban has not pitted yet. It's the last lap. Surely he's got to pit now. And Ted had a little bit of, like, unsure, uncertainty and, like, panic in his voice of, like, well, can he pit on the last lap? Now that the last lap's been started, um, it's like, you know, they're they're setting up. They've already got the barriers out for Park Ferme, which Park Ferme is where they set up like a one, two, three for the cars. And he's like, they've already set up, but there are people. Red Bull's engineers are already heading to the wall, <laughs> which some people said, oh, well, Red Bull climbed over the wall. That's they didn't climb over it. They were just out at the fence. <laughs> but and you and he's like pan and Ted's like panicking. He's like, I think pit lane is closed. Like I don't know what's going to happen here. There are people everywhere. And then sure enough, Esteban comes in. Um, and honestly, thank goodness that the pit lane set up at Baku kind of you come in straight and then it's a, a left and then kind of to force you to slow down because you're coming out along straightaway. Because by the time he come around. And I didn't see this on the TV broadcast because they were looking from like way down at turn one back. 
Um, I didn't see, I just saw a bunch of people jumping out of the way. What you see on the Esteban's onboard is that they actually legit had a metal barrier fence already across pit lane. And they happened to snatch it out at the last second. And then people like saw that and started jumping. I mean, people were inches from getting just bowling balls. It's yeah. like it was. It's it, like it was, it was like, in like the fifties or something, where they used to wave yeah. the damn flag on the track. You would have thought yeah. Tony Stewart was out there or something. I mean, well, these people no. were dead. It, it was. I'm glad nothing happened. Yes. No one was injured. No one was hit. But the FIA, they Man. released a blanket statement saying yes. that they were investigating it, but nothing really. Here's that. Here's the statement that they released today, basically after their investigation was that, you know, the stewards heard from FIA representatives and determined that the relevant representatives took steps to set up the Park Fermi area and and permitted the media um, while the pit lane was still open. They like, we noted while it is not unusual for representatives to allow such persons into the pit lane just before the end of the race in the usual course of preparation for Park Fermi and the podium ceremony. However, in this case, because there was one driver still left a pit, Pit lane was still therefore open, and that FIA representative should have known this and taken actions for it. So they said that you know they sat down, and this was acknowledged by the FIA team, and that they have all been communicated that this shouldn't happen again. So basically, it was like we investigated ourselves, and we had to start talking with ourselves and make sure this won't happen again. <laughs> so that's great and all, but you know, it's one thing to have you know a loose tire off a car bounce and hit a catch fence or a marshal has to get out of the way because he kind of goes out onto the track. It's mm-hmm. another to have a whole organization allow, you know, 50 plus journalists at a pit lane with live and cars going. That's you can't whoever, that it's unacceptable because the governing body of the FIA is letting them on or saying, y'all come on. And like, I guarantee you, there's so many people in cameras out there that I guarantee you that there was a non-zero amount of them that were like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. Got so, a pit. And just think of, just think of this. Imagine if Red Bull had its VIPs at the same thing at the end of the race, Red Bull had its VIPs in the garage and they just allowed them to go out to celebrate the win. The FIA would absolutely shit on them. Yeah. But in this case, it's the FIA who let the journalists out. Yeah. And, and nothing happened. No one got fired. Nothing like that that we know of. That we and know so, of. I'm sure something is, will come out of it later. But just the most blanket, like, again, like you were talking about, like, Pirelli invested. We investigated ourselves and found nothing wrong. Like, FIA was like, yes, we did We did something wrong, and we're going to talk to our people to make sure it doesn't happen again. And the the, <laughs> like, thing, the yeah, thing for me is that this is only going to get worse. We saw it literally at the last race in Australia where they were about to let fans on while their drivers were doing a cooldown lap. This happened this week where you had a bunch of photographers and media people almost just get demolished, to be quite frank. And then we've also been seeing, you know, off the track where, like, if you watch Checo's interview after the race, someone just, like, let all these fans get literally right up next to him. They were, like, grabbing onto him and all this other stuff. And it's like, that's not like acceptable. Like people don't, general people don't know their boundaries. Like you have to enforce that. Like stuff. getting like, into someone's motorcade or something like, yeah. It's, or it's like, insane. dude, there's, there's been people that, you know, something that actually happened 
between races was people have found Charles Leclerc's address and have been waiting outside for him at his own like apartment building. And it's like, what, like, what do you think you're going to get out of it? Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Like the, you're that a psychopath if you do that. That F1 is one of the coolest things when they have the event is to let people onto the track afterwards. And that's going to get taken away because people don't know how to act. And yep. in this case, it's the own people that allow it and put on the event don't know how to act. Yep, for sure. Other than that, that was that was the entire race. Nothing else happened. It was like we said, a snooze fest. But you know, Red Bull came home with the win. We spent more time talking about the photographers almost getting killed than we did who actually won the race. Yeah, which hopefully we never have to do again. Hopefully, there's good racing, and hopefully the FI gets its head out of its ass. Um, the podium, the final podium for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, was in third place Charles Leclerc. In second place, Max Verstappen. And with the dub, Checo Perez. So like I said earlier, Chandler and Pat both guessed. They predicted after last Grand Prix that... You guess. Okay, whatever. That <laughs> that old Checo would get his, get his win, and they were correct. So because of that, I get to guess first for this upcoming Miami Grand Prix. So the Miami Grand Prix, it's our first doubleheader of the season. That means back-to-back weekends. Um, what's going to happen is the qualifying for this weekend is at 4 p.m. on Saturday, the 6th, and then the race starts at 3.30 on Sunday. So for me, it's an easy win. Max Verstappen's going to get the dub. Um, I think it'll be close. Another battle with... Checo, but I do believe that Max is going to win, especially after the race weekend he just had. Chandler, we'll move to you because you went second last time. So we'll see if you continue your win streak. You don't have to worry about me of us all all three picking the same because, you know, Miami in its own way is kind of like a street circuit. So I'm just going to ride the hot hand and I'm going to say Checo wins again and we get. A really interesting a Checo Max one two, and we have ourselves. I think I think a Checo Max one two would give us a tie in the championship, and I think that we would have ourselves a tie going into Italy. Which so, so right now Checo's down in the World Drivers Championship six points to Max Verstappen twenty five, wow. and so a Checo win with um, a Max second place and fastest lap would give us a tie. And if I'm not mistaken, we were within like five points, like after race five last week, uh, last year. So I think we're in a very similar situation where <laughs> I think I, I really want to see like, I want to see the modern day, like Nico Rosberg, Lewis Hamilton type thing. And so I, I'm going to ride yeah. the hot hand with Checo and what is a quasi street circuit in Miami. Cool. That, who are you going with? So I think Max wins. Wait, just wait, just wait. <laughs> I think Max wins. I have a feeling that either someone's going to somehow crash into Checo or he's going to have some kind of weird mechanical failure that's going to cause him to either not finish in the points or just not finish at all. I do think Carlos Sainz comes in third. And then going back to second, I think that Fernando Alonso is going to come in second. Okay. All right. Well, me and Pat are going to be correct. Chandler's going to be wrong. Max is, Max is coming home with the dub. Um, like I said, that race is Sunday at 3.30 on ESPN. Uh, 
this race weekend sucked. So hopefully this next one is a lot better. Pat has no excuse to go to sleep during this one. It's in the middle of the afternoon. We look forward to hearing your guys' thoughts on this past weekend and your predictions for the Miami Grand Prix. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe at Figuring Out the Formula on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, anywhere you can get your podcasts.